and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Bent Tree Church. Welcome, my church family, friends, visiting. Thanks so much. It's a good day to be in the house of God. Amen. It's good to be here. I wanted to take just a few moments to introduce a shepherding elder candidate. Uh, for those of you who are new to Bent Tree, you may not know that we have this kind of group of men who have uh, served in that biblical office of elder. And we call them shepherding elders, but just because that's their role over the sheep of God. That's the people of God or the sheep of God. That's the illustration that Jesus uses is feed my sheep, right? He tells Peter that. And the, the members of Bent Tree Church, when they actually join the church, they're placed under the spiritual covering as it is of uh, the spiritual, spiritual oversight of these men. Their job is to help us grow in the faith, praying for us, uh, meeting with people, uh, discipling uh, uh, people along the way. Uh, they want to help you grow in your spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? We want you to grow into spiritually mature people so that what you can grow into what we call a spiritual parent. In other words, you reproduce other people that can grow. So you help other people grow. Now, we'll be talking about this more in coming weeks. I'm excited to share with you just so many opportunities we've got coming down the pike of things that you can do to grow in your faith. Now, don't get the wrong idea. It's not just the shepherding elders that help people grow spiritually. That, they, that's their job, but it's not just their job. That's the job of every spiritually mature believer in the place. In fact, that's how we know someone has started to reach that spiritual maturity. They start to disciple those people around them. It's one of the fruits of coming to know Jesus in a mature way. By the way, that's all I also want to... Uh, remind everybody while I'm at it is we've got this D3 conference coming up March 5th at 7.30 a.m. You, you just need to come to this thing. If you're a member or you're thinking about being a member, we're going to be, it's just a whole morning. We have food in there. There's even child care. Uh, come and be a part of that thing because we're going to learn about discipleship. How can we disciple people better? Uh, that thing will help you grow in your ability to disciple others around you, even help you disciple your, your inside family as well. Your children, grandchildren, make sure you get signed up for that. That little QR code on the back of the chairs in front of you, just aim your camera at that unless you have like an old style camera. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a phone camera, right? Aim it at that, open the little website link. But these shepherding elders... How we have are so incredibly important to us, not because they just help us grow spiritually. They also do some other things. They give us spiritual oversight from what is preached. Before I ever preach on stage, I preach to a preaching cohort, a team of elders and, and people that give me feedback on the talk. They go, is this scripturally right? That these guys guard against non-biblical preaching and teaching. Using that shepherding analogy of sheep, these guys guard against the wolves getting in among the sheep. And we've had that over years where wolves have tried to come in and, and go, here's false teaching or 
spread lies. And at times they're called, these elders are called on to provide discipline against those wolves to go get those guys into a right relationship or get them out. By the way, that's a real threat in today's church. But these elders also provide loving care. Discipline for church members that wander into sin. Guys that have left their marriage to say, hey, I found someone new. I go, dude, what are you doing? Guys that will walk with them. Whatever that is. And we do that in hopes of bringing people back into full relationship with God in the church family. All these guys we have are solid. I love them and the elder team. I work with them directly. I'm one of them. In short, these guys serve alongside me and provide shepherding care that a church needs. Well, our little church is growing, and so we feel like God is having us grow that team as well. Do you sense it's growing? I do too. Today, I want to present to you Don Williamson to be prayerfully considered as one of the candidates for a prospective shepherding elder. Don, would you mind coming on up, standing up here with me? Don and his wife, Heather, have just been this wonderful addition to our body. I've known you guys, I think, for 20 years now, um, 21 years maybe. They both serve on... Uh, the greeting team and different parts, uh, being a part of Bible studies and D3 groups. And Don will be available to meet with you after the gathering today. Just answer any questions that you might have. Now, the purpose um, of this is we want to give you this process to be able to meet Don and ask him questions. The process we've used since the start is that the current shepherding elders pray over guys that they see in the church that are already kind of doing this thing. They see that in them. And we then begin to meet with them, pray over them, look at their doctrinal beliefs. They have to answer just a truckload of questions, written out questions. And then we look at how they treat their own family. You know, how do they carry themselves? What is their relationship with Jesus? And most importantly of all, I mean, do they meet the criteria of what's laid out in Scripture for an elder, that office? Well, after months of meeting with Don, we feel like Don meets that biblical criteria. So the next step in this process is what we're going to do today. Um, it's a little uncomfortable, uh, but I think this is important. As a unified shepherding elder team, we are presenting this man to you as a candidate for shepherding elder. And we're going to pray for him in just a few moments here. But what we're asking you guys to do is give us feedback on Don, as you pray for him, if you know of any reason Don shouldn't be a shepherding elder, come talk to me, one of the shepherding elders. Nobody came after the first service. That's good. <laughs> or if you know, you say, I see the Spirit of God on that man. Come let us know that too. We want that feedback. Uh, and what we're going to do is, if God willing, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll bring back, in just a few weeks, we'll bring Don back up on stage. We'll have him kneel down here. Can you kneel? I think so. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so not all of us can. <laughs> have you kneel down, have all the shepherding elders just lay hands on you and pray for you, commission you as a shepherding elder. It's a humbling thing. Um, well, if you would just stretch your hands out towards Don right now, and let's just pray for him. This is a trying time, and... <sighs> God, the shepherding elders have brought this candidate just to the members, the body here. We ask that you speak to our church. If there's any reason, God, Don shouldn't be an elder, would you just show us that? 
At the same time, God, we sense that you have raised on up for this time, this church. You've equipped him. We see his service of ministering to people in the church family already. God, we see his humbleness, his love for you. God, would you just confirm if you want Don in this position? And God, we lift up Don and Heather to you right now as they just face a few weeks of scrutiny here. God, it's not easy. And, and God, I pray for protection from the enemy, both physically and spiritually, that you'd cover them. Help us to pray for them during this time. And if it's your will, God, we want to see Don made one of our shepherding elders. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you just thank God for Don and Heather? And yeah, thank you, Don. Appreciate you. Well, get something to write with. We got a lot to cover today. For the last few weeks, we've been in chapter four of the gospel of John, and we've been studying this life-changing conversation between Jesus and this woman that scripture just calls the woman at the well. And if you missed any part of this, go listen to it on YouTube or on the the, uh, Apple uh, podcast app. You can listen to that for free. If you've missed any part of that, go back and pick that up. It's a powerful thing. And as we looked at the narrative of that story of Jesus talking with this woman, uh, we saw how Jesus offered this woman living water, really talking about him being the truth, that he is the son of God. And we said, He showed her that she could be forgiven of her sins, given life. This was the gift of God. Jesus himself was the gift. And Jesus points out the guilt of her sin. And she's got some shame, right? He says, but I am the Messiah. And she believes. He just he just kind of lays it out there, right? He says, I'm the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And she believes she's saved. Forgiven of her sin, the proof of that regeneration that she had been born again is her confessing of her faith to those in her life that Jesus really is the Son of God. You gotta come see this guy. A powerful story, but then last week we used this little analogy. Do you remember? We'll do it again here in the next couple of weeks. It's in the story is, is if we're drilling into the side of a mountain and we're mining this story, we followed the tunnel in and we've been looking in this story, in this mine for little bits of gold. And as we found those little tiny bits of gold that we've nowhere to dig, we kind of walk back to that point in the story. Although we're at the end of the story, we walk back and we say, this is where we found this nugget of gold. Let's dig here. And we use the tools to dig as other scripture. We let scripture interpret scripture. Or to say it another way, scripture itself will help us dig deeper into the truth of this passage. Make sense? Make sense? Okay. And listen, there's a lot here. So let's begin digging deeper and let's find the gold once again. If you're able, would you stand with me just in reverence for the word of God, our main passage just being read aloud this morning. Verse 21 of John chapter 4. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, The Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
God, may your words just shape us and mold us. Amen? You may be seated. Last week, we ended our time with, with Jesus answering this woman's question on where to worship and how to worship. She had asked, should we worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, where that first temple Abraham had built was? Or should we worship down in Jerusalem on Mount Zion where the holy temple stood at that point? And Jesus basically says, look, your question is obsolete. It doesn't mean anything. It's not where, Jesus says, but who and how to worship. He says this in verse 23. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here's where we found the gold nugget, isn't it? So let's drill down right here. We're going to camp out here for the next few times together. I was going to say like three or four times, but who knows? You know, we just don't know how long will it take to get there uh, just because I'm slow. Sorry, you're in my church and we're just slow. But we want to get to the gold, amen? This is just so critically important. I mean, worship is mentioned eight times in this little passage. This should be a clue to us. Jesus apparently thinks that worship is important to us and important to him. And the apostle John relates this to us because worship is at the very heart of what a Christian does with his or her life. It's how we live. But why? Jesus describes to the woman something so important because it is the way we actually relate to God in our fellowship with him. In our relationship, especially what it is and where we do it and how we do it, worship. And and we could say if there is a right way to worship, that also means there are certainly wrong ways to worship. And we'll explore some of that today and in coming weeks. But before we go any further, let's just get a foundation for what worship really is. John MacArthur, the great theologian and pastor, uh, says this, worship is honor and respect paid to a supernatural being or a superior being. I like that. I like that. I love that old man, don't you, John MacArthur? That's a big umbrella in a sense, though, because there are a number of ways we can show honor and respect paid to a superior being, like we just did a moment ago. We, we stood in honor of our main passage being read. It was just a way for us to, to worship, say we pay respect here. Now we're going to drill down deep on what worship means and, we'll, uh, and how to do it later on. But let me offer another definition of worship that I think will help guide us. Here it is. Write this down. Worship, the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy character of God. I'll give you a moment. Worship the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy character of God. What we're saying here is that when we see who God is, we respond And there is a positive correlation to the more we know about God, the more aspects of when and how we worship. What I mean is that if you don't know God, you won't worship him because there's no point. And if you know a little bit about God, maybe you might make an effort to start worshiping him a little bit. 
But the more you know about God, or maybe we should say the more you know God as in a relationship with God, the more you will worship. Now, there's a great deal more we can say about this, and we will as we move forward through that. I'm just going to say, the more you know God, the more you will worship. Let me ask you a question. What are some of the ways uh, we see who God is, or how can we know about him? How can we know this God? Well, Romans 1 tells us a, a way right off the bat. Everyone can see God in creation. We see the mountains. You go to Bear Lake and you go, man, that's beautiful. And even a non-believer can go, man, there's just something here. There's a creator in this thing. Or maybe, like, have you ever been the one to hold a, a brand new baby like the first one? You know, like this day, day old, uh, you know, just hours old. And, and you go, there's a God. There's a God. And maybe you, you see it in nature and babies and we can at least know that there is a God. But that stuff, listen, is not enough to actually know God in relationship. Like have this personal one-on-one with him. How else can we know him though? Or, or how can we know about God? Through the revelation of himself in his written word. In fact, if God has cho- had chosen not to reveal himself in this, we would have no way of getting to him, no way of knowing more than except there is a God, we think. It's why at Bentry we're so serious about studying God's word because we want to see God. We want to see him. We want to know him. And as we study God's word or we hear it preached, what we call the ordinary means of grace, we begin to see how God just pours into us who God is. And we begin to respond and worship. Now, we'll get to this, but it's important to understand just because you know about God doesn't mean that you can worship him the way that he desires. Because Jesus did say that we, talking about true Christians, true worshipers, must worship God in spirit and in what? Truth. Let's just hang on to that spirit and truth. We're going to unpack that in coming weeks. But realize we have to unpack what worshiping in the spirit and truth means. We'll get there. But going back to this worship definition, let's look at this. It means that we are in awe. As if we see the awesomeness of God, we respond. Sorry to give you so many definitions, but I really want to get this down and I want you to understand this before we go any further. Look at the word odd or awe. Here it is. Awe, here's the definition, the feeling of reverential respect mixed with a fear and wonder. The feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. It's that awe in understanding who God is through his revealed words of scripture, through preaching that drives our worship. Or we could say it like this, until you begin to understand who God really is, you can't really worship God the way he desires. You can't worship God in spirit or in truth. Now, why would that be? Well, think of it this way. If I say, I love my wife, Bibi, I mean, I really love her. How could you know that that statement was true or false? I say, if I told you I love her and I 
And you ask why I love her or how I love her. Well, I would say something like, well, she's pretty and she's really nice and stuff like that. And you'd be tempted to think that guy's kind of shallow, right? Like uh, that's all he could say. But, but if you press me and, and then I'd say, well, I've been married 32 years. And you go, well, that's, that's kind of impressive. But, but then you find out that I only see her once a week. And then for about an hour, but then I get start getting antsy. And then sometimes I miss a week or a month. In fact, there was a couple of years I went where I just saw her one time a year. That was on Christmas Eve. And that was like 45 minutes or so. I really love her, though. You would realize my words about loving Bibi, Bibi are just simply words. It's not real love. Otherwise, I would what? I'd spend time with her. Now, there's no awe in my love for Bibi in my heart if that had been true. But what if I spent hours and hours and you're like begging to leave, but I wouldn't let you go. I told you everything about Bibi. And believe me, I could. I could tell you of her beauty. I could tell you, oh, I love her laugh. I love how she smiles. I could tell you that, you know, we uh, have been married 32 years and we have dated for 37 years. And that, that we used to talk. We love to talk. We talk on the phone for hours and hours. And we'd run up these massive phone bills, long distance bills. And some of you, like you go, I don't know what a long distance bill. Ask your grandparents. I still do that today. I can't wait to get home and talk to Bibi. She's my favorite person. And other than Jesus, she's my favorite person in the whole world. I like her better than any of you guys. (laughs) But then I could tell you about how she loved me when I was unlovable. That she stood by me in the hardest times. She knows me, really knows me. She loves me and that humbles me. And because of the life we have lived together, I know her, she knows me. And get this, the more I know about her, the more I love her. Now you can see just a tiny, tiny bit of why I love Bibi. Because A, what I just told you, and B, you know I don't deserve her. Now, my love for Bibi is a romantic kind of love. Because I'm a romantic kind of guy. But what about this idea of love, this idea of awe in our worship? What is that? Because I think a lot of times we say we love God, but there is not a ton of awe going on in our relationship with God, especially in our worship. Let me see if I can give you an example of awe. Have you ever stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon? Anybody? Raise your hand just up high. I want to say, yeah. I didn't used to... um, be scared of heights, but now I am. I don't know why. It's just me getting older, but I want to see the bottom and the grandeur, but I don't want to get too close, right? You know, I'm like, you know, it's this draw that I have to get close and yet a fear because, well, let's just be clear, idiots fall off, right? Every year you go, does anybody read that? And you go, mm, got too close. Now, let me see if I can give you an example of all with that. As you are standing there, you want to get closer to God, but you're, you're, there's some fear there too. 
I know in the Grand Canyon there's this pit in my stomach. And yet I want to see the bottom. I want to look at all this stuff there. I'm scared of what the canyon could do to me if I get too close. Do you see the awe? I've got another one for you. Any Yellowstone fans out there? Not the TV show. The, the, <laughs> stop watching that, by the way. Um, <laughs> someone said, hey, you should watch that. I go, okay. All right, turn it off. Um, the park, Yellowstone. All right, you raise your hand. Again. All right, there's that waterfall kind of by Artist Point, and I love seeing that waterfall. There's a little observation deck right above the waterfall. And if you've never been there, as you're right there, you, you see this massive amounts of water flowing off. And this mist is hitting you in the face. I, I could literally feel the rumble of the concrete and the, as it, this mass amount of water poured nearby. I was torn because I, I like, like that Grand Canyon analogy. I wanted to get closer to the waterfall, but I realized the sheer power could kill me instantly. And, and the danger was there. I was in awe and wonder. And it was beautiful. Have you ever felt that way? Anybody? All right, now, what's interesting is that's just a tiny, tiny bit of actually what a taste, uh, what we see in Scripture over and over with people that come into the presence of the Almighty. Picture this. The prophet Isaiah, one of the, the most well-known prophets, relates this passage of him uh, seeing this vision God gave him. We'll spend just a few minutes here. We'll unpack this. I want you to see it. Isaiah relates this vision in verse 1. He says this of chapter 6. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. When he says, in the year King Uzziah died, he's giving it a date stamp. So everyone would know, oh yeah, it'd be like us saying, hey, and uh, when the Twin Towers fell. You know, we'd know, 2001, right? Notice Isaiah is not seeing the earthly temple in Jerusalem here. He has seen a heavenly temple. He is getting a glimpse into the throne room of God. At least that's what we think. We know from the book of Hebrews chapter 9, though, that the earthly temple in Jerusalem, it was just a copy of the heavenly one, the real one. Presumably, Isaiah is seen inside this heavenly temple. And notice it's not just the, it's just the hem of his garment that fills the whole place with his glory, which is light and smoke, and it's the hem of his garment, just the tiny part of his bottom of his robe. In, in other words, he's so massive, God's so massive in this vision that even Isaiah can't take it in just the tiniest part because it filled the temple itself. Are you seeing some of the, the awe in Isaiah's voice? Well, you hadn't seen anything yet. I can almost hear his voice crack as he does this next part in awe. Look at verse 2. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. Seraphim are angels, a special kind of angel, that simply are in the presence of God all the time, worshiping him. But notice, they're above Isaiah. They're great big. Because he says they're standing there, but then we find out they fly. He doesn't say how many seraphim there are, but he briefly describes them and what they're doing. And remember, he's seeing worship here. 
Isaiah says that these, these angels have six wings. Count them, six wings. Two they flew with. I'm sorry, two, uh, yeah, two they flew with. But check this out. The other four wings were to cover themselves from the holiness of God, to protect themselves. Two to cover their face, their head. Two to cover their body, their legs, their feet. These guys are made to be in the presence of God. And yet, even they tremble. I mean, they're in front of God all the time. Look at what this is in uh, chapter 3. What they're actually doing, these uh, angels. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Now, when we hear the words, holy, 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 repeated that way about God, what we're saying is not that God is just holy or holy, holy. He is holy times three. It's important to understand this because in the Hebrew, there's no comparative or superlative like holy, holier, holiest. So when you hear holy, 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 it expresses that superlative. You with me? There's, they are simply calling out to one to another, the God right here, the one true God, three times holy. Another way to say it, God is completely, he's utterly holy. Then looking for. Verse 4 says, the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. Apparently, it's loud as the angels worship. So loud that it begins to shake the floor and the doorways where Isaiah is standing. Can you imagine how freaked out he would be? Do you see and feel the awe Isaiah describes here? So what is Isaiah's response? Verse 5. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Now, this is a man of God. This is a prophet. One of the most well-known. We know his story. And yet he is so worried. To be in front of God. He goes, I'm undone. Woe is me. Because he knows his unworthiness. He knows his sin. He feels his unworthiness as he sees God. Right? I want you to see this, please. When we see God for who he truly is. And when we begin to take into account his greatness, his holiness. It will drive us to understand how unholy we are. Here's my point as we think about Jesus telling this woman this deep truth about worship. Our society has watered down the meaning of awesome. To mean, that's pretty neat. Like, everything is awesome. I can't think of a worse song, eh? <laughs> and way to describe that. I think most people that call themselves Christian, check this out have adopted the same attitude and flippancy about worship of God. But Jesus says, that's not worship. That's not spirit and truth. He's saying true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. So how do we worship? How do we respond in awe worship? Well, that's what Jesus is getting at, isn't he? It's important how we respond. In other words, we have to respond the right way. We know that 
we respond to worship to God by worshiping in spirit and truth. And we'll get to what that means over the coming times together. But so many times, the modern church has treated worship flippantly. Like it's a nice thing we do when we get together if it happens to fit in our schedule or our kids don't have a ball game or a dance recital or I don't have tickets to the Broncos or I don't need a day in the mountains or I'm not hunting or if I'm just not feeling like worshiping today and I'm just going to stay at home by myself. Listen to me. Jesus tells the woman something's coming. True worship's coming and the Father's looking for true worshipers. He says a new way to worship is coming. A new way to have a relationship with God is coming. And it's here now. It won't be like the old covenant where you had to go have an earthly priest to get to God like you worked through them. Jesus takes the place of an earthly priest. He is our great high priest of the new covenant. Amen? Jesus says there's a new way coming and it's already here. I'm, I'm here. I'm standing in front of you, he says. And last week, last week we looked at the new covenant that would be ushered in with his suffering, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. That's what the point at which God in the old covenant had given his people the way they were required to worship. He said that's going to come to an end. We looked at that last time. Do you remember? But what has the old way of worship that the Hebrews have been commanded to do uh, adhere to? What, what had that been? It was a system of animal sacrifice of spilling their blood in place of ours. The priests would literally perform on the behalf of others for their sins. And then he would bring a sacrifice um, for himself first and then the sins of the people. So two different sacrifices because he was sinful. The high priest would clean himself up and literally he would have all the other priests more than a day long work on him just cleaning every nook and cranny of this old priest before he goes in. Not a hair was out of place, I'm telling you. His clothes were great and he would go in into the Holy of Holies behind the veil and once a year he would offer the blood on the Ark of the Covenant for the sins of the people. You with me? The high priest would offer the sacrifice to God for the sins of the people. Hebrew priests' instructions. This isn't from the Bible. We just know it from Hebrew priest instructions. We have this. Those other priests that had washed and cleaned them, they would be waiting outside because they had sewn little bells on the bottom of the priest's garment. So you'd hear this little tinkling sound of like as the priest would move around because he wasn't allowed to talk. You know, he couldn't say, hey, everything's okay. And what they did is they, they came up with this idea of like, let's tie a rope around the dude's leg in case he dies in there because we can't go in there because we'd die. So they'd pull his body out if they didn't hear the bells going anymore. Imagine, hear the bells tinkle, you know, and then stop, wait, pull the rope. Talk about a holy awe. Talk about worshiping in a way that makes sure you were holy and repentant. I assure you the worship in the Old Testament was not done flippantly. Can I just say here, some of you come to church to get filled up. And I'm so glad you do. I'm so glad you're here. 
But what would happen if you prepared your heart for worship? Like, I'm going to worship God this week, so I'm going to do my best to live in holiness. I'm going to pray, and I come ready to worship. Not just a, can we go to church this week? The Old Testament would become obsolete. The New Testament, the New Covenant would come, would begin. And we saw last time how the curtain in the temple that separated the outer room called the holy place from the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. Uh, we saw how that that was ripped. We saw at that point that Jesus dies on the cross and said, it is finished. The curtain was torn from top to bottom, 30 feet off the ground, four inches thick. Think about it. That's like ripping a phone book in half. A man could not have done that. We saw God himself had ripped open the Holy of Holies that had contained the place where God's presence had been for the world. Now, through this new covenant ushered in by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, replaced this old covenant, we saw that even the temple itself would go away. A.D. 70, the Romans, they burned it up, knocked it all down. We no longer need an earthly priest, do we? Praise God. We don't need a priest to go before us into the temple and make atonement for the sins uh, each year. I'm not your priest. Run from anybody that says they are a priest. Well, this is at the heart of worship. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Watch this. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We don't need an earthly priest anymore to go between us to get to God in some earthly temple and offer a sacrifice on our behalf. Because Jesus is our high priest. He offered himself as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. His blood was spilt. So let that inform your worship. Look, look with me at Hebrews 10. Let's quickly walk through this passage. Let it drive the awe in our worship. Listen close. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Christ, talking about the heavenly sanctuary, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. Do you see that? That is through his flesh. Jesus, with his suffering, his death, his resurrection from the dead, has made a way into the Holy of Holies, the very throne room of God himself. If we are born again believers of Jesus as the Son of God, we no longer are enemies of God. We're made into children of God. That's what the Apostle John talks about. You remember way back in chapter 1, verse 12, Verse 13 with it. What he said, but to all who did receive Jesus, he gave them the right to be, look, children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of the will of God. It means that we can approach 
God the Father with a boldness of his child coming in to see his daddy. That's my dad. You see that? Look at verse 21. You'll love this. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, hang on right there. Don't want you to miss it. With Jesus in heaven, we have someone on the inside. A friend on the inside constantly pleading our case. And since that is true, how should that affect our worship? Talk about awe. I love this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. It's like that waterfall is going, you know, I was afraid to get close to it. It's going, hey, walk on in. This is your father. Jesus has made a way. You don't have to be afraid, but I am afraid. He's so awesome. We are in awe of who he is, what he's done, the Lord of lords, king of kings, and I'm so dead, I'm rotten. This is scary stuff, but look at this. We can walk into the throne room of God with full assurance of faith, and our sin is not held against us, praise God, because we have been sprinkled with what? Clean water, it says. We've been washed in pure water, listen to me, which is the blood of Christ. We're made clean. We're not awful. We're not dirty. Can I just say, some of you are wrestling with sin today. And and you wrestle with it because you have this guilt in you that is even turned into shame. I'm talking to believers. And the shame there has kept you in because you're so embarrassed of the the sin, and God says, baby, you've been made clean. Come on in. You've been made clean. You can stop sinning. You can. We've been washed in the blood of Christ. Now, if that's true, then what do we do? Verse 23 says, let us hold on to that, the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. We continue on following after Jesus. Our lives become a life lived in a constant repentance of sin. Are devoted to worship. Do you you see what we were talking about earlier? Uh, When we were beginning to understand a little bit of who God is at the deeper level, it begins to change the awe factor of how we worship the awe of God. We see him in his awesomeness. and, And that drives how we worship But it's not just about how we love God. Our awe that drives our worship of God also gives us a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We want to worship and we want to worship with them. Look at that next verse in verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting together together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, some of y'all need to get your backside in church. You need to be encouraged to get to church. You've got all kinds of reasons why your attendance is so spotty and so incomplete. You've got a laundry list. And listen, no one believes you. 
Come on. It's laid out in scripture right here for us. Church, this time of worship is life-changing. And it's commanded. Our time of singing, preaching, our giving, our prayer becomes this thing we do. Yes, as individuals, but we do it together. As individuals, something very, and I'm, I'm being as serious as I can, something very magically happens when brothers and sisters worship. God shows up. I mean, he's always with us, right? Yes, but he shows up in a new and powerful way. Look at this, John chapter 4. So when Jesus tells this woman at the well in verse 23, but an hour is coming. And it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. He's referring to himself and his sacrificial death on the cross to purchase our freedom, the freedom of his people, his followers. Listen, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have access to the very throne room of God because Jesus has redeemed you from your sin? then why don't you go? If you do, let me just ask the question. Have you let that information inform your worship? And if not, then, then why not? Like, like, what are you doing? Like, you're a child of the king. Like, like, what are you doing? Look at the last part of verse 23. God the Father wants desires true worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth. It's time to worship God. It's time to worship God. Would you bow your head? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words speaking to us. God, they've cut us deep. They've busted through the hard rock of our hearts that you would love us in our shame and our guilt and you would bust right through that and redeem us with your blood. God, help it inform our worship. Show us how to worship in spirit and truth. I, I see, God, you, you want us to worship. You desire that worship from true worshipers. Help us to be true worshipers. As you just continue to pray for just a moment, let me just ask, is, Is there some sin in your life right now that's preventing you from going deeper? And I know here, here's what the enemy does to me. You can look up here and just continue in prayer. Here's what the enemy does to me. When I've let sin creep in, I get this thing of, he's upset with you. You can't worship. Sing along as best you can. But make a show of it, but God doesn't want you. You're too dirty. Listen to me. That is a lie of the enemy. If you are in Christ, if you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you confess it with your lips. Brother, sister, you are a child of God. Let the shame go away. Let the sin go. There's that picture of the lady breaking the jar of perfume. Do you remember that in the Gospels? And pours it out on Jesus' feet and fills the room with the sweet smell. And Judas, you know Judas would say it. Hey, that could have been sold in the, given to the poor. And Jesus basically says, look, leave her alone. 
She's worshiping me. She broke a vase here. She poured out this beautiful thing on me. Right now, you have a chance to worship God. If you'll just take a moment just to repent of sin, take that. Just as the music plays, just softly, you just pray. Say, God, help me back. I want to worship. I want to be in your presence, but I got this stuff. Just let it go. The grace of God wash over you. You have been made clean. Now that awe of worship, like that woman breaking the vase and pouring it out on Jesus' feet. Let's worship God together as we sing these next two songs. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.